Yeah, I'm excited to be here this morning. I don't know about you guys. Uh, I'm excited to continue in this series, continue diving into Scripture, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, you know, but I just want to just, this series that we have been in called All of Me, we've really just been kind of coming out of Easter with this knowledge that, uh, and, and desire that the resurrected Christ changes everything for us. Jesus being resurrected again changes everything for us. I've given up all of myself and in return, I've received all of Christ. And as a person filled to the brim with Christ, my life looks different. And it has to look different. Right? It can no longer just be a, a cognitive like, yeah, I believe. But our life has to look different. Yeah, Matthew 7 has just been ringing in my ears this week. Uh, and Matthew 7, uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these things in your name? And he looks at them and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That, that, those, that little paragraph there in the Sermon on the Mount has just been ringing in my ears this, this week. As we, especially as we talk about this series, All of Me. As we, so if I give up all of me and Jesus gives me all of him, that changes things in my life. My life looks different because of what Jesus is doing in my life. So much changes when we really take to heart the fact that Jesus died and Jesus was raised back to life. And, and really, and the why, right? The why is important there too. So over the course of the last three weeks, we really started out talking about this exchange for the, last, for the first two weeks, right? This exchange of, I give up all of me. I take on the yoke of Christ, which is easy and the burden is light. And I get in return all of him, all of Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Right, this is, this is, those are the first couple weeks there. Just, the, just knowing and understanding Christ in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And then last week, we really started unpacking the different kind of specific areas of how, how does the resurrection of Jesus change everything about me. Let's start with the emotions as we did last week. Our, our emotions that we started unpacking this, that God doesn't want us to just know him, but God wants us to enjoy him. God wants us to love him, not just to know about him, but to, to be in love with him, to be in relationship with him, understanding that, that only Jesus can fulfill our desires, that nothing satisfies like being in relationship with Jesus. This week, uh, we're going to take another step into to one of the more specific things, because when we exchange all of us for all of him, when we, when we do this exchange and we give up all our emotions, we give up everything that we have a natural question begins to be asked in our lives, and it's this question. What is God's will for my life? All right, if, I, if I've given up everything that I am, and he's given me everything that he is, what's his will? What's his will for me? What do I need to be doing? Where do I need to go? What do I need to, how do I need to live? What is your will for my life? That's probably the, the most commonly asked question in Christianity today. What is God's will for my life. And there's a good reason, right? We want to live the right way. We don't ask it just to be like, meh, you know, I don't really care. The no, we want to know the answer. What is God's will for my life? We want to know how does, how does God want me to live? And there's, we have decisions every single day to make that, that are not specifically answered in scripture. And so we have to pray this prayer, God, what do you want me to do? What is your will for my life? We have these decisions to make. Some are really small. What book should we read for the next grow group? I'm not going to find that answer in Scripture. Right, what, what do I do in this parental situation? 
Where do we want to go eat after church today? <laughs> there's, not, I, there's not a scripture that tells me I need to go eat Mexican food after church, right? We're not, we're not going to find that part of, of our lives in scripture. Some are big questions, though. Do I go to college? Which college do I go to? What am I going to do with my life? Do I get married? Do we have kids? How many kids do we have? Do we go for adoption? Do we do foster care? Where is our house going to be? How much money do we need to save? All of these different questions we have in our lives. And we can, we can ask this question, God, what is your will for my life? What is your will? And sometimes we edit this question and we ask this, how do I find God's will for my life? How do I find the will of God in my life? I have good news for you this morning. The will of God is not lost. You don't need to go and find it. The will of God is not, is not lost. We don't have to find it. We're not living in some sort of like cosmic Easter egg hunt where we have to go and try and find the will of God. It's just not like God is up there being like, oh, you're warmer. You know, you're getting, getting warmer to my will. Oh, no, colder, colder. Go back the other way. No, like that's not, that's not how God operates in terms of of his will. But there's some questions that I want to think about this morning as we think about the will of God, and particularly in this exchange life that we have. We've given up all of us. We've received all of Christ. So what does the will of God look like in our lives today? If we don't have to go and find it, what, am I, what are we talking about here? Now, just some questions I want, want you to think about today. What if, what if God's will is not some secret that we need to uncover somewhere what if God makes his will very clear to us and what if God is actually more passionate about you knowing his will than you are about knowing his will what if God desires for you and me not only to know his will but to experience his will and what if what if he's invested his one and only son into our lives so that we will accomplish his will. Think about these questions. I think the the foundation for today lies here. God desires us. God desires for me and you to follow his will so much so that he lives in us to accomplish it. God desires you to follow his will and to live in his will so much so that he lives in you to do it. Now today I want to dive into a scripture. It's in Galatians chapter 2. We've actually already touched on a piece of this scripture. I think it was last week or the week before we talked about this uh, this one of the we've talked about 220 today I want to dive in a little bit here uh, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 2 with me we're going to start at verse 11 uh, but really just a little context for you as we go in in Galatians chapter 2 starting at verse 11 what we what we dive into is sort of a, a confrontation of sorts between Paul and Peter who we read in scripture as Cephas that's Peter when you see Cephas in this think Peter the apostle Peter uh, the disciple Peter apostle disciple, same thing uh, and really, they're kind of bumming heads with each other, right? And here's, here's sort of the background as to why. There's a group in the New Testament church called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers are basically people who, who kind of agree with this. If you are not Jewish and you still come to faith, you still need to follow Jewish laws. That's, that's basically Judaizers in a nutshell. So Gentiles, which as we've talked before is everyone else. When, when the Gentiles come to Christ, there's this... This idea, like, okay, so what do we need to do then? How do we need to live? Do I need to be circumcised? If I, uh, Gentiles are not circumcised this time. Only Jewish people are. Do I need to be circumcised? The Judaizers are like, 
Yeah, you need to do that, right? That's part of the law. That's part of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so we have this sort of situation here where there's food laws. Gentiles don't really have food laws. Jewish people did. They had very strict dietary laws. Say you're a Jewish Christian and you're going to sit down with a meal, for a meal, with some Gentile Christians. Chances are pretty decent. They're going to probably go to eat some things that you can't eat. And you have two choices. One, sit with them, eat with them, and in your own mind, sin, because you're not allowed to. Or, you get up and leave, you don't associate with them anymore, and in reality what you're doing is you're calling them sinners. You're rejecting what they are doing. And this is the situation that we find ourselves in, right? In Galatians chapter 2, there, and Peter finds himself just, just right in the middle of this. And so uh, Peter was there in the whole. Peter was there the whole time. He was Peter is here in Galatia. He is eating with the Gentiles. He's doing the right thing. <laughs> he's eating with them. He's not causing anybody to stumble. He's eating with them. He's encouraging them. He's bringing them along as believers. Judaizers come on the scene, and what happens is Peter begins to back off a little bit. Peter begins to remove himself from those situations and sort of, sort of simplifies. Uh, he goes along with the Judaizers. I was based on that word, and I still don't know what it is, but sympathizes. There it is. Thank you, someone. <laughs> he sympathizes with these Judaizers, and he begins to back off a little bit. And Paul really just kind of calls him out here in this passage in Galatians chapter 2. So, so we'll start at verse 11 here in chapter 2. When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, this is Paul speaking, by the way. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This passage is one of, I think, one of the greatest passages, especially that verse, 220. If you don't have that memorized or starred or underlined or circled in your Bible, Get that. <laughs> Do that. Memorize that verse. Know that verse, right? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I want to just, 
we're, we're, we'll get back to sort of the Paul and, and Peter thing. But I want to just focus here on this verse. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to just, just think and focus on this verse, especially in terms of thinking about the will of God in my life. How do I, how do I live out the will of God in my life? How do I, how do I live this way? And here's, I think as I think about this verse, I think there's a couple things that come to my mind. The first thing is this. Christ, in Christ, we have a new identity. We have a new identity. I've been crucified with Christ. My self, my own desires, my own will, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm no longer living. All of those things that I, that I find in me, my desires, my will, everything, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We have this new identity. You get to Galatians chapter 6 later on, and Paul just says, I, I boast in the cross. Now, that's a, that's a weird statement until you really think about it. He boasts, but he boasts in the cross because of what happens at the cross. There's this great exchange that happens on the cross. We've been talking about this exchange over the last few weeks, but... Just, just, just think about this exchange and some of these aspects. I give him my sin. And what I get instead is his righteousness. I give him my defeat. He gives me his victory. I give him the judgment that I deserved. And he gives me mercy. Romans chapter 3, no one is going to be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. No one will be declared righteous in his sight. The whole world will be held accountable to God. Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned. Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. You and I stand under the judgment of God for our sin, but praise be to God. Because on the cross, he takes that judgment and he gives us his righteousness and his mercy. At the cross, I give him my death, that I deserve to die. And he gives me his life. Romans chapter 6, verse 5, Paul says, essentially, Christ died, I died. Christ lives, I live. Christ was raised, I was raised. We give him our death. He gives us eternal life. This great exchange is Christ taking all of who we are, which we have been talking about. We've been talking about these implications, and we will continue to talk about all these implications as we go on. But, but the, the cross of Jesus Christ is where we unite our lives with him. We have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul is proud of being crucified. Why? Because he's no more. Christ lives in him now. What is better, to, to live in the flesh or to live with Christ? Paul even says, it's better. It's better for me to live in Christ. He even says, like, all that, all the stuff that I gained, I count it. It's garbage. It is rubbish. It doesn't even compare to knowing Christ. This is, this is, he's, he's proud of this. And if you're a follower of Christ, you've got to remember that, that we have sacrificed the right to determine the direction of our lives. 
We give it up to Christ. Our will is Christ's will. Our life, we, we've been crucified with him. Though, though all of those things that we wanted are now submitted to Christ who lives in us, which is actually a good thing. And this is sort of where we miss it sometimes because we have this tendency, even a, a fear sometimes, when we start talking about the will of God. We, we begin to pray this prayer. God, me and my family, whatever you want us to do, we'll do it. Wherever you want us to go, we'll go. Whatever you need us to do, we're going to do. Whoever you want us to, to go witness to, we're there. What do you need? And we say, man, what a hard thing to do. We, we look at people who have prayed that prayer and gone places and done things, and we say, man, what a hard thing to do. I don't know if I'm ready for that. And really, almost, it's almost a scary thing. Where do we get this idea that this is a scary thing to give up our will and give it to God? Doesn't God know best? Doesn't God know where we need to be and why we need to be there? And doesn't he have a plan? Isn't God perfect? I think sometimes we need that reminder that God is perfect. God does not make mistakes. It's not a bad thing to give God our will and say, all right, you direct me, you guide me. Where you want me to go, I'm going to go. Where you want me to do, I will go and do. That's the beauty of this whole thing. It's not that we don't have a will anymore. It's that our will is united with Christ who is living in us. And that's what happens to our will. The will of God is not lost. It's not something we need to search for. The will of God happens in here every single day as we live the life that God is calling us to live. Amen. That's the will of God. That's right. So, we have a new identity. We also, in this exchange and in this, in this, as we think about being crucified with Christ and no longer living, but Christ living in me, he gives us a new direction in life. I've been, I'm crucified with Christ. He lives in me, but I've still got all these questions. I've still got all these decisions that I talked about earlier. We still have all these things that are going on in life that we, that we can look at Scripture and maybe not find an answer to. Some of, some of us in here this morning are finding, fighting some major decisions. There's some things that are going to have to happen this week or next week or the week after that that are going to be really important for the future of our lives. At this point, you can, you can go to the Christian bookstore. You can find a ton of books that will give you advice on this. You can, you can ask your Christian friends and get some advice on this. You can, you can do all kinds of stuff. And there's actually a lot of other ways that we try to find God's will, right? Some of my favorites, in no particular order. The finger method, right? Finding God's will. All right. I know it's in here somewhere. Close our eyes. We open it up. Bam. This is interesting. The cost of following Jesus. That's where I just opened to. There we go. All right. Perfect. Okay, so sometimes it works. All right. Sometimes, sometimes it works, but, but sometimes we do this, right? We just open up, we point, maybe we try a few times until we actually find something. But oftentimes we, we, when we do that, we, we take the word of God out of context sometimes. And we don't actually, we just feel like, yeah, that's, that feels good. So we're just going to do it. There's also the, uh, the miraculous event method. God, just send me a burning bush like he did to Moses. I just, I want to see the burning bush. I want to see something. Just, just show me what this is going to look like and just reveal yourself to me in this way. Now, how many have had an experience like that, like a burning bush experience, where God just came out and just was so overtly saying like, hey, this is where you need to go? Not very many. 
doesn't happen very often. There's the, the coincidence method as well. Coincidences kind of pop up in our lives, and you know, sometimes you wake up and you, you're asleep, and you wake up in the middle of the night, it's 2.22, and you wake up and it's 3.33, and then you wake up and it's 4.44, and you're like, man, God must be speaking to me right now. Right? Maybe we need to like sell our house and go somewhere. I don't know. And you're like, oh, what, what's going on? Anything we need to do this? Honey, we need to sell the house. Why? Well, I saw 2.22 and 3.33 and 4.44. It's got to be a coincidence, right? God, is, God must be speaking. And sometimes we, we read into some of these coincidences that probably should not be read into. And it could be. God might be speaking in those ways. I'm not saying God can't speak in any of these ways. God obviously speaks in all of these ways. There's also the, the open, this is the one I'm most guilty of, the open door, closed door method. God, would you just open a door or close a door? My prayer for a lot of years, and probably still sometimes, honestly, is, God, would you make it painfully obvious where you need me to go? I use that phrase a lot. Make it painfully obvious where you want me to be. Open a door, slam a door in my face if you need to, if I don't need to be there, but God, make it painfully obvious I'm where I need to be. You know, I, I had a thought this week, I was thinking about this, I was thinking about preaching this, and I had a thought in Acts chapter 20, Paul is sitting around with his friends in Ephesus, and a prophet basically says to them, look, hey, if you go to Jerusalem, there's a really good chance you're going to be bound, you're going to be arrested, maybe you're going to even die. Here's what he was saying, that door might be shut, man. <laughs> that, that door over in Jerusalem, Paul, I, I think it's probably shut. But here's what Paul says to that, he says, I'm compelled by the Spirit to go there. Now, sometimes, sometimes the Spirit of God is going to lead us through a door that might seem closed. But maybe there's a crack. Sometimes there's not going to be a, a wide open door. There's not going to be a, anything. Here's another method we kind of use. We use the, the still small voice method. I think of Elijah here. Elijah just, just wanting to hear from God, wanting to hear a word from God. And he, he's in the cave, and God comes, and there's an earthquake, and there's fire, and there's wind, and then there's a still, small voice, and, and Elijah hears his voice. I think we all pray for that, that small voice. The, just, God, just tell me. Just speak to me. Speak to me. Let, me. let me know. Let me know what you're saying. And even this one can be hard, because you have to have the the discipline to decipher all the different voices that are in your head and make sure what you're hearing is really from God. And again, it just, it just takes real discipline, great discipline. And don't get me wrong, God, God can and God has used every single one of these methods to show people how he wants them to live. God has opened doors. I've, I'm here because of an open door. Maybe a closed door too. These things, these things really do work. But I think we need to be careful as we as we go forward. The, that that really when we're when we're discovering the will of God, it's more so about following what Jesus is already doing, following the movement of God that is already going on in our lives. Here's really the method that I want us to follow. I want us to follow the faith method. Faith is a way of life. All right. Galatians 2.20, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The only way to live out your salvation is through faith. Paul makes it clear in, in this same chapter, in verse 16, that it's all about faith. 
Right? This, this Christian life is not about us figuring out how to live for Christ. It's not about us doing a certain amount of things or trying to earn our way into the will of Christ. It's not what this is about. This is about just living in faith. Now, what if our job is not to, not to figure out what God's will is and then go and do it for him? What if, what if our job is just to trust God moment by moment? To say, right now, in this time, I'm going to live by faith. And just trust Christ, who is in us, to lead us in the right direction. And this seems to be what Paul is telling us here. The one who gave himself for me loves me enough to live his life through me. So here's, here's really the, I guess, the breakthrough for this morning. Right? We have the foundation. Here's where we're going with this. Knowing God's will is really secondary to just knowing God. Knowing God's will is secondary to just knowing God. Every single one of those methods we talk about, they're all just kind of shortcuts. <laughs> right? We're trying to just get the quick, easy answer. All right, here's the, I, I've, got, I've got about 10 minutes. I need to know your will, so just, just show me, right? Just oh, the storm. All right, we're going to talk about a storm. What, oh, am I going through a storm right now? Am I going to go through a storm? And you're trying to decipher like on this random scripture that I pointed a finger at. All right, we're, we, we, this is huge. Every single one of those, they're all shortcuts. Yeah, they can work sometimes, but, but it's looking for a quick and, and a, just an easy answer. They don't require discipline or work or really character transformation. That's not what any of them involve. But if, what if God has designed his will so that as you seek him and you know him and as you abide in him, he begins to shape you? And this process of shaping and molding and all of these things is really how we find ourselves in the will of God. God has the power to use any and all of those methods that we talked about, but, but maybe he's decided not to do that for a reason. Maybe he's decided not to do that. The will of God is not a, a road map. It's a relationship where Christ overtakes our will and unites us with his. Now, this is, this is what the will of God is. What matters to Christ is not getting from A to B the fastest. What matters to Christ is, are we learning? Are we progressing? Are we being shaped in more and more into his image? Are we living the way that he's asking us to live? And we'll get there. We build a relationship with Christ by, by trusting in his word, by praying for his desires, by walking in his will. And that's the thing. Right, we, we walk in his will. And you can say, hold up, you just said we don't know his will. <laughs> but here's the thing. Living in the will of God is an active journey. Moment by moment, day by day. There's a, there's a quote uh, that I love. It says, the way to find God's will for your life, or the way to find God's will for the rest of your life is to do God's will for the next 15 minutes. And then to do God's will for the next 15 minutes, and 15 minutes, and 15 minutes. Do God's will in the now. How do I know I'm going to live in God's will for the rest of my life? I'm going to do it right now. And I'm always going to do it right now. I'm always going to strive to do it right now. That's what we see all over the New Testament. That's what we see Paul saying here today. And so the question changes. It's not, God, what's your will for my life? God, how do I find your will? The question becomes this. God, how can I align my life 
with your will. God, how can I align my life with your will? What is already happening in my life? How how are you shaping? How are you directing? How are you guiding? How can I align my life with your will today? The question changes. It's not about, God, what's your will for my life? Or, God, how do I find your will for my life? It's, God, how can my life align with your will? How can what I'm doing today align with what you are doing around me and long-term and forever? God, may my life align with your will. Let's pray.